0: Are we intimidating? Have you ever been told that you're intimidating? Because I got that all the time.
1: (sighs) Maybe not to my face, but I can't deny potentially being seen as scary looking. If I'm like just walking straight and giving like the blank stare off in the distance, I could see somebody saying, That guy looks kind of scary and intimidating. But I'm a stick. So most likely in a fight, I will get myself pummeled. Most certainly. Yeah.
0: To be fair, I am a very large dude. Um, And I've had a couple people be like, Mike, I used to be so afraid of you. Then I heard you speak for the first time. Ouch. Because be y'all can't see it because this is a podcast, but I'm just kind of squishing my face because I realize I look like a dumpling this morning. Choji. Mm-hmm. Oof. Old high school flashbacks. we love to see it. Oh, you, you really don't. Ugh. My hair, an absolute mess. But...
1: Your RBF kind of stands out on days when you're tired. Mm hmm. I probably was completely
0: terrified, yeah, I remember I had someone come up to me once and he's like, "Mike, you look like you're about to murder someone. Are you okay? I'm like,'m yeah, I'm, I'm good. The
1: opposite for me. I just get the you
0: look like you're about to cry. <laughs> okay.
1: i'm I feel fine. And then you consult the internal and you're like,, mm, my heart says otherwise. what is this <laughs> existential crisis ensues?
0: Ah, oh, such' good material for poetry.
1: Oh, yes. Bad, Sadness dark, equals so good, good poetry.
0: poetry. Either good poetry or just. So have you been, Joel? I
1: have been. I have been. It's one of those one of those days where I think that I'm going to go right back to bed after holy hour. But then. I oh, think the, the Lord, maybe both. And then I'm just like wide awake, ready to go.
0: So for context, we usually record in the evening, but we thought we'd switch it up and do it in the morning. So it is nine in the morning. It's a Saturday. We could be sleeping. But for the Lord, we are up Yeah, anyway.
1: So it's not a huge deal, but I think this would be more helpful than us being like half dead asleep.
0: Yeah, caffeine is slowly kicking in, which is good.
1: I don't know for how long we'll see if this can last the hour. Rhetoric plus 100. We don't know. Maybe. But uh, welcome, everyone. Oh, okay, Word, words. Welcome, everybody, back to Cultural Confessions. I am Joel. My name's Mike. And we're here to give you some more amazing Catholic layman banter because that is what we do. Um, just a few uh, kind of beginning words. Uh, we have a Patreon now. Uh, this podcast doesn't, in fact, cost us just a little bit to kind of to cover things. So um, if you like what we do, and want to help support us? Please feel free to lay a donation on that. We are under Patreon with the name CC Barnabros. So, if you have uh, the will to potentially support us and whatnot, please feel free to leave a donation of any size there. So with we don't have tears step, yet. Um, we don't have tears yet. We'll figure that out. Kind of make some some funny names like we did when we named this podcast, and we'll just figure it out. The name felicit Sister comes to mind. Felicia Sisters, yes. That was nice here. We might we might do that, but we'll see. We'll have some cool names, we'll put them out there and potentially this will be uh precisely precisely what uh what everyone is hoping for. Um secondly though, if you have any questions for us, any topics you'd like to have us cover or even just like for audience like interaction and whatnot please feel free add us on twitter we are at cultural confessions and also on our instagram send us stuff questions and whatnot we'd love to hear from you guys um because you know adds a little bit of dynamics to this community we are building slowly Yeah, yeah.
0: also we just want to hear your voices on the matter because we talk too much on all of these subjects and we would love to hear a fresh perspective if you want to asks questions about points we bring up in um, anything about anime or anything about truth and desires and hard roast on you can't be Catholic in a weeb. Oh we will fight you. Like I will we actually also love ants.
1: that. We love the fact that we're gonna get all the criticism because what shows more humility than addressing criticism with grace. Exactly. So with that said we're jumping in today with our main topics on why St. Augustine? and a little bit on him, his works, and why we are more affixed on focusing on him rather than uh, the very famous St. Thomas Aquinas. So we're going to jump right in to our first segment, Barna Bros. Okay, Mike, why did we select St. Augustine and secondly, St. Barnabas as our patron saints for this podcast?
0: So St. Augustine, St. Augustine. Oh, that's a fun question to ask. Which one is right? Because there can only be one. But um, part of the reason why we chose St. Augustine is because everyone is like an amateur Thomist these days, which is great. And I want to affirm everyone who dies into St. Thomas Aquinas' work because I'm one of those people. But everyone's a Thomist. Like, we get it. The Summa is amazing. It is thorough in its approach, but I am a dramatic arts person before anything else, and St. Augustine is just one of my people. There are 36, 35, 36 doctors of the church. I think there's a lot of theology that we need to
1: delve into. Mind you, the corpus of St. Thomas Aquinas' works are very large. And I don't know if his writings kind of absorb everyone else's um, the fact of how large it is. But I think there also needs to be some,
0: uh, in a way, diversity. Well, St. Barnabas was the easy one. Like, we're both very involved with CCO. So when we're coming up with a name for our podcast, we thought, let's let's either talk about or focus on St. Paul, uh, St. Timothy or St. Barnabas. (laughs) And we were playing around with names. Barnabros was the easiest pun. So we went with it. Real talk. Who would who would win? St. Augustine or St. Thomas Aquinas in a fist fight? Man, I have to give I have to give it to St. Augustine. Like. St. Thomas was in a monastery most of his life. Um, I hear he was famously large. He'd probably have the weight advantage. But nah, I don't know if he can take a punch. St. Augustine mm-hmm. definitely, definitely got into a bunch of fights as a child. He was All pretentious as hell.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. All you would have to do, really, is just kind of, like, bear hug St. Augustine. And then, like, I don't know if he could, like, actually get out. Like, I know in his delinquent years, St. Augustine may have been, like, you know, fighting boys in the streets. You know, I wouldn't, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't being in Carthage and just, like, you know, picking fights wherever he wanted to. Um, no proof of that yet from the book I've been reading. So, but it'd be really cool to imagine that he, he would be in a fight. At some point in his life. So he's a little more well-versed, a little more a tempered.
0: Yeah. 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 Hmm. St. So Thomas I, we love you, but Yeah. I don't know if you can take a hit.
1: The <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe he had like a you know an early early part of his life where it wasn't recorded, you know. The secret training arc. The lost history of St. Thomas. <laughs> that would make an epic like novel or manga. I could totally see it. Yep. Although we're gonna take a few bits of creative expression with that. I can imagine, but we're still gonna maintain our focus on Augustine and Augustinian theology. Um, just cause we don't see too much of that right now. And well, as amateurs ourselves, we're just gonna have our fun with it because we just enjoy it and try and share that the best way we can because, uh, it's just our cup of tea you know it's just our cup of tea yeah but anyway let's let's hop ourselves actually into a new segment we're putting together um uh, a bit of like a, a a new one which we have very haphazardly and very quickly
0: named from the archives insert dramatic music rustling wind in the background peel of thunder rain something a choir of angels in the background,
1: slowly, slowly raising to the heavens. I could see it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So what is, what is this from the archives really just kind of our like quick way of breaking up a segment of our own personal spiritual reading on the works of St. Augustine. We started with confessions, of course, being his most famous work. Um, We both have different translations of this, but Quick warning, we are, in fact,
0: just fanboys and not scholars. Um, Absolutely not. We're we're just excited by the confessions. Obviously, we want to start diving into hard theology. But for now, I'm just excited by the salty arts major that's just oozing out of these pages. That's a gross word. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine.
1: I was going to say it's like um, we're taking theological hot takes on, like, you know, Augustine and kind of like defending him, but also sometimes having fun with his rhetoric because it makes it's a, it's a big thing. Some of his, um, I guess biggest theological contributions to the church are like huge and also mentioned in this. So, um, yeah.
0: And Thomas quotes him all the
1: time. in his work. So, and he's influenced so many like important figures throughout, like throughout the church's history, including, uh, like poets, like Petrarch, um, which I also want to delve into at some point um, because I just, I just love the story behind Petrarch and, uh, and his, you know, interest in with St. Augustine. So it's kind of one of those things that we can kind of maybe get into at some point. Of course but, you're I, a Petriarch, Ben. Not yeah, surprised. <laughs> salty poet. It's great. See, we're bringing out the, the, the old into the new, you know, that's how we do it. But really just kind of, we're doing more of a general reading. Um, of the confessions. And this is what we're going to kind of you know, to go through quotes in each book um, and try and get a better understanding of the main themes, things we found very provocative, and, and things really that we can kind of pull out into our daily lives. Um, because of a work so influential as this, what we're really trying to do is find where the influence can still apply to us today. As our, I guess, our ministry really does kind of focus more on that. So this is kind of one of those. Ways where we can bring it to the masses in a very what would you call it? Not dumbed down. What's the what's what's our expression of this? Just a dramatized, maybe a little
0: more entertaining way. I mean, part of the dilemma I have with Thomism is that we treat we treat philosophy, theology, and like the liberal arts, as if they're completely separate disciplines. Um, And when you read St. Augustine, you don't really get a sense that arts and theology and philosophy are something different. Like they're all kind of one in this different expressions of the same truth. Um, Now the arts, um, the artistry behind his work tells, tells truth in a different way but it's just as compelling to me as like reading some of the more logical arguments that you get in like the Summa. Right. Because again, we talk about in like theology
1: and philosophy, the idea of like how the intellect is, I'm not sure if this is the, is the right way of looking at it. I was thinking about today, Um, uh, like the intellect informs the heart, which then ignites the will. I figured that's the right way of putting it. Um, so in a way, intellectual you know, discourse kind of mixed with the will, and of course, our emotions kind of all together gives us a more fuller expression of what we're trying to get at. It's not so purely just rationale alone, um, but it's the rationale mixed in with with the feelings, the will, the experience that we have as humans, and that kind of fullness of the human expression is so so clearly like shown in at least um, the reason that my copy is translated, I'm reading the Oxford world's classics translation by Henry Chadwick. Um, but it's this translation just a really, really good job of, of kind of showing that emotional side of Augustine as he's kind of reliving his life, um, especially the worst parts of it kind of in an embarrassing way. Um, and then of course, then trying to bring about his points. Um, it makes for really engaging reading. Um, and Montreal will really come down to, of course, being as like, you know, hard pressed and like, this is the logic and the rationale, which might appease more people in, let's say, the academic sense. But it's very human. And that's what I really like about it. I'm not sure if your translation is, is similar in that regard.
0: So I'm reading the Penguin Classics uh, translation by R.S. Pine Coffin. And St. Augustine is one of those writers that it's hard not to get the get the emotion in any translation that you have. Um, Weird Catholic flex, but I was studying Latin in university and I remember having to translate part of the confessions. Um, And full disclosure, I was a C student in Latin, so probably not the best translation, but all of us got the emotion pretty quickly, um, powering through it in our one hour exam. It was actually a choice between Augustine or Cicero, no one chose Cicero, we hate Cicero, but well, okay, that's harsh. We can't stand translating Cicero, pain in the butt. Um, And the emotional aspect is, it gets disregarded a lot, but it's, um, like I said, it's something I love about St. Augustine, like when we think about the transcendentals, so truth, beauty, and goodness, they all point back to God in different ways, for sure. Um, And each of the different transcendentals can be kind of misunderstood in a different way. Um, But so many people these days talk about beauty as a thing that will save the church. But I really think it's all of them coming together. And the Confessions is one of those books that is a clear sign of truth, beauty and goodness all rolled into one. Profound. But no,
1: to add to kind of onto that, it's, you know, the book is kind of laid out in a very like sequential way. Um, from the beginning of of saint augustine's life all the way until uh, until roughly roughly the end at his conversion and all the things that have come of that including some of his more important theological notes um that's just my kind of like a quick overlook through like the table of contents but like it's very very um still reflective as well like he tries to go into explaining like why he does some of the things he might have done when he was an infant and how that applies to like sin, our relationship with God and, and kind of that wrestling we have with ourselves and in our passions. Um, so I actually would just want to kind of move us into looking into kind of book one, which was his early years and kind of get the context in general for that. And then kind of go through a couple of different important quotes. Uh, we're going to try and focus on the first two books, at least in this podcast, but we're hoping to kind of continue um, in the coming weeks really to look through more and more of it uh, in detail. I'm a slow reader. I think Mike's a little more closer to the end than I am, but uh, we're gonna try and keep up. So at least each podcast will have like new chapters to go through. So if any of you are really curious, you'll know, pick up a copy of the Confessions. I think you can get it online for free. Yeah, you can. You can yeah, online for free. Um, go to an old used bookstore. You'll find a copy somewhere. Um, but yeah, that is going to be where we're going to start. Um, and so I want to focus on like a one little part of the first chapter. Uh, the first book, sorry, where St. Augustine is talking about kind of his early years in education. Um, so his father, of course, wanted him to be an educated person, kind of gets gets him into uh, the school in Carthage. Um, and even in the early years when he's learning at school, one of the main things that really sticks out to me uh, is this idea that, you know, as a young person, he really didn't like studying. And it's a really, really cool Um, expression of like, wow, this is very relatable to today. Students really had not changed in the last 6,000 years um, very clearly. Um, And one of his big things was on the idea of like Greek and Latin. So like learning languages context for anyone who's, who's Canadian here. um, When we were all growing up, we all had to learn French compulsory in school. I don't know how many people actually enjoyed it. I think I may have been one of the few people who actually did um, but everyone like had this big qualm with it. So uh, the earliest they can get out of doing a French class, they just did. And Mike, I'm not sure if you felt that kind of sentiment
0: before with regards to, like learning languages. Absolutely. Mostly because um, I was tr- struggling just with English at the time. Funnily enough, I was studying English in university, but it was always a struggle. Um, and really, it's something I can relate to with St. Augustine, it's, it's just tedious to pick up another language. So obviously, I thought the smart move was to go into a dead language, Latin in university, which was infinitely more difficult because you don't speak it. But it's it was tedious to pick up um, the vocabulary, pick up different grammatical rules, getting yelled at by my French teacher because. I was the problem child, Because you have to memorize all the exceptions. Rose, how about no? Teach me hood French, and then we'll talk.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the dumbest you'll see clearly in in this earlier part. Uh, I believe in chapter twelve, he kind of starts talking a little bit about it, and then goes into chapter thirteen and really just hammers down the point of you know his kind of wrestle with like the different languages that he'd have to read um, to be get to get the more of an, a well rounded education. Uh, and I'll just kind of make it a quick, uh, not quick. Sorry, I'm going to do a bit of a longer quote, actually. Um, originally I was going to read through like a smaller piece of it, but I think to give a little bit more context, because we can't go through absolutely everything he talks about in each of these books. It just, there's too much there. And this isn't an in-depth book study. So what I'll do is I'll kind of focus more on a couple important chapters, 12 and the beginning parts of 13. I'm going to read through it. And then I can, maybe shed a little bit of light on it but i think the, the reading will speak for itself i'll try and do it in the most uh, concise and not pretentious old sounding voice that i can uh let me just quickly change here i'll get my mic running a little bit closer and then we can we'll get i'll get right into it in the beginning parts of chapter 12 paragraph 19 for those of you who are following around with my translation um you'll probably see it at the beginning parts of that, I'm going to go through chapter 12 and the beginning parts of chapter 13. So, uh, here he's talking about his education and focusing on the Greek and Latin. He says, "Quote. Nevertheless, even during boyhood, when there was less reason to fear than during adolescence, I had no love for reading books and hated being forced to study them. Yet pressure was put on me, and was good for me. It was not of my own inclination." and that I did well, for I learnt nothing unless compelled. No one is doing right if he is acting against his will, even when what he is doing is good. Those who put compulsion on me were not doing right either. The good was done to me by you, my God. They gave no consideration to the use that I might make of these things. They forced me to learn. The objective they had in view was merely to satisfy the appetite for wealth and for glory though the appetite is insatiable the wealth is in reality destitution of spirit and the glory something to be ashamed of but you by whom the hairs of our head are numbered use the air of all who pressed me to learn to turn out to my to my advantage in my reluctance to learn you used for a punishment which I well deserved. So tiny a child, so great a sinner. So by making use of those who were failing to do so, anything morally right, you did good to me, and from me in my sin you exacted a just retribution. For you have imposed order, and so it is that the punishment of every disordered mind is its own disorder. Even now, I have not yet discovered the reasons why I hated Greek literature when I was being taught as a small boy. Latin I deeply loved, for at the stage of my primary teachers, but at the secondary level, taught my teachers a literature called grammarians, the initial elements where one learns the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic, I felt to be no less a burden and an affliction that the entire series of Greek classes, the root of this aversion, must simply have been sin and the vanity of life, by which I was mere flesh and wind, going on its way and not returning. Unquote. So I may have mince the, the grammar a bit of there while I was doing the reading, but the focus that's going on here is the fact that because Latin was used more often, he'll go into this a little bit later, Um, He found a greater love for it rather than Greek, which was confusing and didn't have much real application for him in his studies. So he kind of avoided Greek. Um, And so this is like kind of I can see the the comparison to us learning French where, you know, uh, for us where we live, barely used. People find it kind of like not really applicable to everyone's lives. And so, you know, though we're forced to learn it, we, we very, very quickly get rid of it. And this just speaks so clearly to like education nowadays that back in like the fourth and fifth, cent- like four fourth fourth and fifth centuries, it's still the same for students. And this is the Roman empire we're talking about too. Like that's a lot to really kind of go through. Uh, and St. Augustine at this time is living in North Africa um, around, I think the, around the area of like, um, Tunisia and Algeria, I believe. I remember the exact place he was living, but it's around there. But I think it's really, really cool to see that kind of key, um, those key passages that really focus on him and the fact that he did not like learning things being kind of forced on him, just as today we we would say the same. However, there's this one kind of little bit he adds where he says, it was still good for me that by this, you know, compulsion to and a kind of aversion to learning, there was some good out of it. I
0: mean, he's talking about discipline here, like being a disciplined student, knowing that he just does not like the material, but there's still benefit to it, even if it's just to power through. No, again, this is all in retrospect. I'm sure at the time he was just groaning, rolling his eyes thinking, I hate this, this is dumb.
1: And so I guess that's kind of one of the point I wanted to get across the idea that like, the difficulties of learning a foreign language, yeah. Students felt that way back in the day. And it's so like relatable. I think after I started looking at like this part of the, uh, of the book, I was like, man, St. Augustine is just so relatable for just an like an old figure in history. And it speaks to how people have not really changed for, uh, Ever. For the last 6,000 6, years at least, um, with recorded literature kind of as it is but that's kind of at least one of the things I wanted to kind of bring up. There's so many other different things. Like he talks about this symbol of like an unstable sea, like he uses clay analogies and he focuses on his mother and you know, her love for him and wanting him to convert to Christianity as she was, uh, St. Monica was a practicing Christian at the time. So like all these different pieces kind of come together in this book. um, As he talks about kind of his early life and kind of getting into the I guess, the horror that is to come, at least in his mind, looking back of like how far he he strays away from God, and strays away from the good uh, in his adolescence and kind of moving forward. Uh, so, Mike, you kind of have the focus on book two here. Uh, maybe give a little context as to kind of what gets covered. And I uh, mean, we can kind of go into one of those larger quotations on the, the bigger sections and the bigger themes.
0: Sure. So, um, like Joel was saying, book one is very much focused on his early years, his childhood, his infancy, and those early years of his education. Then book two is diving right into his adolescence. So you can imagine he's talking a lot about his passions, his, his struggles with like his friend group and his sin. Um, like what, like what Joel was saying, one of the things that always stands out about Augustine is just how applicable it is to today. Um, the first thing you learn in history and in classics is people have not changed ever since the beginning of history. Um, I remember when we were studying like Pompeii and graffiti in ancient Rome, it's the same kind of foolishness you would see on graffiti on like a bathroom stall today. Um, I'm not even gonna say it because it's raunchy and <laughs> it almost it's almost encouraging in a way to think even in ancient Rome, people were dumb, salty, just angsty teenagers. Um, so the passage I wanted to focus on, it's it's kind of one of the famous quotes from the confessions where he's talking about the pear tree. So I'm looking at book two, chapter four. I don't have paragraph numbers in my translation. It is about halfway down the first paragraph. There was a pear tree near our vineyard, loaded with fruit that was attractive neither to look at nor to taste. Late one night, a band of ruffians, myself included, went off to shake down the fruit and carry it away, for we had continued our games out of doors until well after dark, as was our pernicious habit. We took away an enormous quantity of pears, not to eat them ourselves, but simply to throw them to the pigs. Perhaps we ate some of them, but our real pleasure consisted in doing something that was forbidden. Look into my heart, O God, the same heart on which you took pity when it was in the depths of the abyss. Let my heart now tell you what prompted me to do wrong for no purpose, and why it was only my own love of mischief that made me do it. The evil in me was foul, but I loved it. I loved my own perdition and my own faults, not the things for which I committed wrong, but the wrong itself. My soul is vicious and broke away from your safekeeping to seek its own destruction, looking for no profit in disgrace, but only for disgrace itself. Yeah, people haven't changed ever. Like teenagers have been doing things for literally no reason since the beginning of time. And it's again one of those passages that. Highlights the sinfulness of men, but is also heartening in the sense that, look, people haven't changed, and we can move past the same kind of foolishness we had before. Okay, so quick question: Can you remember a time in high school when you did something stupid for no other re- reason than it was stupid? I have to look back my memory banks
1: because if it was anything that was embarrassing or something that I immediately regretted. I just
0: erased it from my mind. So
1: maybe, maybe you can share share one and I'll just try and like bring one up.
0: Yeah. So with me, every embarrassing moment, I kind of catalog into this is going to make a great story one day. Because if I have to suffer through it, so do all of you. Um, hmm, something. Yeah, I was one of those students that just did not care about class. Like I would go more out of habit than anything but i just i'd either fall asleep not pay attention um or just i'd be doodling all the time in my notebooks on my exams i actually got bonus marks on an exam one time for a doodle which was great because math she was not a math teacher we we could relate anyway yeah all right there there was one time in religion class of all things this is kind of before i was really taking my faith seriously um but again out of pure boredom i was just there folding airplanes in class and because I have no sense of time and place I would just start throwing them around when the teacher wasn't looking purely for the sport of it and I remember she finally called me and she was pissed So she was yelling at me back of the room look Mike throw them in the trash now context I was in the back corner the trash was right in the front next to the door other side so without even kind of looking up, I just casually toss it across the room and we all watch it slowly glide into the trash bin. And she couldn't even be mad because I did exactly what she asked me to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. I have, I have nothing
1: like like that, like a random, I think I can recall. Um, the, the best thing I can think about was in our one like tech computer class, we were basically just doing study guides for the upcoming tests that we would do. And we would spend days on these and our teacher was very uh, like kind of laid back about the whole thing and didn't really care as long as we got the study guides done. You could do whatever you want. So here we are, you know, our teacher's just chilling at his desk way in the back, way in the front of the class and then we're at the back where all the computers are. And so we would always have the computers that the backs were facing him so that he couldn't see what we were doing, but some of us were pretty spicy and, and just had our computers open. He could see everything we were doing. Never said a word. And we would try everything to get past like the school's firewall. So we could like go on to other sites and like play games. And so we basically set up a local land Minecraft server on the, like the computers. So we would just spend amazing basically yes all of class after we get our stuff done we just zoom through it and we would sit there and just play games we would either play like the original counter strike or we'd play like minecraft yeah as a good example of that yeah we would do that in graphic design class too. so good it was so fun and it sucks because this is part of the confession i guess on this part where it was a little bit civil, where we had to like go on and use different like tools to get past the firewall that kind of hack into it mm-hmm. and secondly um one thing we did also was to get through the study guides, there was a site which had all of the answers on it, and we literally went up to our teacher and said, "Hey, we found this site that happens to have all the answers on it. Can we use it?" And my teacher said, "Yes." So,
0: oh, I, so free from, almost free
1: from guilt, almost. yes. Still felt kind of bad about doing it, but we did it anyway. Everyone did it when we found out. We literally yeah. asked,. too. We literally asked, We're like, "Hey, we found this thing. Can we use it?" I think it was
0: ability at that point.: Yeah.
1: Yeah, plausible deniability. Yeah, I'm sure that one's gonna be waiting on my shoulders when I get. <laughs> yeah, no, so the guilt I is good. Out. We'll find out. We'll find
0: yeah. out. Um, but coming back to like Saint Augustine, one of the things that he really focuses on in the first two books is how he acts in relation to other people. Um, so book one, it's very much how he acts in relation to adults. Book two, he kind of focuses more on his relationship to his friend groups, his peer groups. Um, and I mean, like I said, he's so relatable in the sense that um part of the reason we do stupid things is sense of acceptance and really to test the limits of the relationship we have with people um so like with your um with your teacher right easy example to see how much you can get away with i mean you guys actually asked him permission to cheat so yeah i think you guys are gonna pass on that one not not an expert Maybe. maybe. any priests out there let us know like Venial, mortal, what are we playing with here? Anyway, um, but with my teachers in high school, I was always kind of testing the limits. Oh, actually, story from French class. So it was grade nine. Um, At this point, I'm the quiet kid that would just not talk ever. So there was one weekend where none of us did the homework and our teacher was pissed. So she's just red in the face, front of the room yelling at us Oh like, and at one point she goes why didn't any of you do the homework like top of her voice my head just pricks up and i'm like miss we didn't want to do it the class goes quiet this is the first thing i might have said in like a week and she just dies of laughter because no one expected it like yes <laughs> That's How amazing.
1: ultimate chad moment chad high school mike this is I'm high school so- mike right
0: yeah, high school, Mike. She was making other people do push-ups for doing crap like that, and here I am, just Miss. We don't want to do it. Hope that's okay. The but, school, uh, if the schools had the yardstick again, who knows what would happen? Oh, they would have beat me so many times. But um, yeah, book two is very much focused on like, why do we sin? Is it purely for the sake of sinning? Do we do it just for the enjoyment of the sin? Or does the external environment play a part in that? Are we looking for some kind of recognition and even a
1: sense of pride and glory and honor in our friend groups? The mob mentality plays a role. And even to a greater extent now with how much we are interconnected, it's the idea of gaining recognition from the world, which we can reach out to and get access to today, right now. That's a scary proposition that the society is now has its reach everywhere. Regardless of language barriers, regardless of societal changes, there's this culture that is kind of formed around the internet and it has different subgroups, but there are some, I would say very, very, I would say, not conniving. What's, what's very deep seated influences in this idea of getting yourself looked at and getting yourself, Um, What is it? Gratified? uh, It's gratification. Gratification. Yeah. The instant gratification. And I'll admit, I think we've all had that moment where we've felt kind of intoxicated with the idea of like, Ooh, we're getting attention now. What can I do to get more?
0: And we sometimes forget to consult our conscience on this. (laughs) Most of the time we forget to consult our conscience. In fact, like, um he actually talks about it a little bit where he's always considering how other people see him he never really considers um at the time at least when he's 16 how god sees him or how he should act Um, it's okay so today right social media um facebook not facebook i'm an old man um instagram tiktok uh youtube the thing that gets the most views is shock value uh, whether it's a stupid prank gone wrong or doing something, you know, is wrong, but is just at the limit of the law that you can do it for, um, for views. For likes, Yeah. For likes. Yeah. Let's be honest. Cursed memes get a lot of attention
1: nowadays. Like you can go on Reddit and find the most cursed memes and those will get the most upvotes. Not something like a wholesome meme. Wholesome memes are also nice, but they're like, ah, this is nice. Now back to the dark stuff. It's like, why do we have this like, focus on the dark stuff? Because it's so shocking. If there wasn't a moral absolute towards these things, why are they so coveted for being like, oh, this is the bad thing. Great, let's tackle that. Make the most like obvious degenerate memes and get a good laugh out of it and feel good about it. Like, I will confess, I have a fun time looking at some pretty cursed memes because it's... Something that the entire group can just kind of laugh at and whatnot, um, under certain circumstances and then be fine with it. But then sometimes afterwards you wonder like, shoot, like, was it worth it? Because there's no consequences or immediate consequences. Then there's no real precedent to feel guilty. It's something that everybody laughed off. So why should I be concerned? Yeah. That's what we've forgotten about God.
0: And I can't really speak to how St. Augustine was feeling at the time. Um, Though in the modern context, I I wonder how much of indulging in like the dark side of the Internet is really just us um, kind of patting ourselves on the back. Like, I'm not that degenerate, like this is funny because that's not me. it seems like the exact opposite here in especially in the scene I was talking about, where it's very much, huh, I can do this if I wanted to, and a lot of his a lot of Augustine's younger years really just but I can do it, and I want to do it without even thinking about the ramifications past that, like, um I want to steal the pears, let's steal the pears. I'm horny, let's start sleeping around. He talks a, little, a lot about that in books three to five, really the rest of the confessions he struggles with his sexual sin, but we will delve into that much. Oh, for
1: sure. course.
0: Yeah. In the um, weeks. But especially in book two, like the passions, he doesn't really make a lot of distinction between them. It's just a desire to do something. Um, so he does it. Right. But uh
1: in this time of kind of like consulting our conscience and working more towards it, uh, we're kind of we're moving into the advent season now. Um at the time this gets released, it's probably going to be Advent already, but we're just on the cusp of, of the first week of Advent now. Yeah, so tomorrow. We're going to focus a little bit on on that and kind of see where, where we're kind of at and how best we can kind of prepare then in for this season and what can really kind of be done. So we're going to hop right into Discernment Corner.
0: I actually have a quote from Book Two about that. Oh, okay, okay. So Book Two, Chapter Eight, right at the beginning. So I was already talking about his desires and how he's kind of impulsive in how he um, how he pursues them, mm-hmm. especially when you're young. Um, you don't really think past, "Hey, I want to do the thing." But again, he has a benefit of hindsight here. He's, I think, something like forty years old by the time he's writing the confessions. So chapter eight, book two, right at the beginning, he goes, it brought me no happiness. For what harvest did I reap from acts which now make me blush, particularly from the act of theft? I loved nothing in it except the thieving, though I cannot truly speak of that as a thing that I could love. And I was only the more miserable because of it. And yet, as I recall my feelings at the time, I'm quite sure that I would not have done it on my own. Was it then that I also enjoyed the company of those whom I committed the crime. If this is so, there was something else I love besides the act of theft, but I cannot call it something else because companionship like theft is not a thing at all.
1: Powerful. Whoa. Slap to the heart right there. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm more stabbing than a
1: slap, but you know,
0: Oh to yeah. Nonetheless. Oh, good. That's a salty art major coming out of both of us, which is funny cause I am an art major. Joel is in Komsai. Like, should have been nasty, that I am, salty and artsy you're going to be salty and artsy but also have a stable income later in life nah, okay. I'm, not, I'm not ashamed <laughs> I'm not ashamed of my choices don't be ashamed it's fine um, but now that we're in we're entering into the advent season the first thing that comes to my mind is alright how am I going to prepare for the coming of my savior I was actually talking with a priest recently and one of the things he pointed out was like Look, there are things that you want to do in your life that you know are not good for you Um, or things in your life that might not be bad, but you don't need to be doing them. Um, So this is really a time for us to take stock of um, the gifts that we have, the talents that we have, and really lean into those things rather than those impulsive, um, impulsive desires that we have that might be good in the moment, but don't actually bring us lasting joy. That, yeah, that honestly does kind of
1: nail it on the head. And I guess in a way we need to take back Advent in the Christmas season as a whole. December being that time when everyone gets ready for gift giving and gets ready for being with family. We're in a quarantine right now. There is almost a hundred percent guarantee that there's still gonna be lockdowns by the time Christmas happens and all you're going to be able to be surrounded by is your immediate family. And for some people, churches are closing masses. Um, How do you, how do you prepare in a pandemic? Like this is something that is, hasn't happened for so, so long in history. I have no idea how um, like what the extent of the consequences are going to be on families, on groups who've already been isolated for so many months so the question now becomes what do i do to fill that time and so the temptation might be here to kind of let things slide and forget what Advent's all about that season of penance wearing purple that's that idea of how do we prepare ourselves for this time of joy that we should be ready to be surrounded by our family and friends but in the absence of that who do we have and I guess the easy cop on answer for anyone who's religious would say, because we have God and we need to recognize him, his presence. And, and of course, the, the events, the holy mystery that is the nativity of Christ himself.
0: Mm. I mean, as you were saying that, I kind of rolled my eyes because I'm like, yes, everyone says we have God. We know we have God. Though, OK, to be fair, that's something we take for granted as Christians. The fact that we have God, not a lot of people actually have that understanding or belief in their lives. So the first thing is really to appreciate the fact that we have God. But then the question that came to my mind is like, all right, how do we have God? Mm-hmm. That is not something just like,
1: oh, we have him in such a very nominal way, but we have him in the depths of our hearts, the depths of our being, that he is who informs us, who guides us and shapes us. And then we can't just stand on the, the, the pulpit here and just speak, you know, everyone come to God. You'll be so much happier that way. Uh, in this time of of advent, and it's not simply just just saying, "Oh, yeah, just drop this commercial Christmas crap and come back to the real Christmas because that just uh, sounds like we're being in some ways hypocrites because the culture itself has kind of formed around this. And the moment we try tearing it down, and attacking it is the moment that we end up getting rebuked very, very heavily. as I've noticed with other things. So the question now becomes, how do we approach this time? How do we reach out to people and kind of them in the mind of like fasting and preparing for for christ's coming the christmas as as it should be and maybe we can bring this quarantine into our advantage really in preparations now we're not so hasty when it comes to uh giving gifts because we have less people we're going to be able to see that simply sending a card and stuff like that can be a lot simpler but also it could be slow, much, so much more heartfelt given the emotions that we feel in this separation, this time of separation. So we can do that. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind when I think about it is how best can we minister to people who are immediately in our bubble? You know, can we connect a lot more closely with people on a more serious level? Like, hey, how have you really been in this time? And kind of getting to make amends I guess you could say with the people who we have wronged people in our bubble who we can actually reach out to and maybe to reflect more internally on those who are away from us how best can we um, hope for them that everything's going well that though we may not be able to control what's going on we can at least pray like a return to prayer I think is an important piece of this time and fasting in um, the idea of fasting we really don't need to consider it as like oh just don't eat No, sure. There's those traditions and different disciplines like not eating meat on Fridays and holidays of obligation, trying that out for the Advent season. That's probably a good way to start, but it also means other things like cold showers, abstaining from certain things that you're prone to to do. um, That might help a little bit in regards to focusing us on important things that we need to get to and being less distracted by the things that easily take us away from these moments of sitting with God in prayer or ministering to those in our community or taking the time out of our busy days. Cause I do admit we are all busy at this time. but setting ourselves aside for the sake of another and doing something for them, whether an almsgiving, whether you're making a card or giving gifts or really racking up those black Friday and cyber Monday deals, not only for yourself, of course, but also for people that you're, you know, on your Christmas lists of people to give to like in those moments, really taking the time to be intentional about how best can we can give to others rather than to receive? Because again, very guilty of this focusing more on buying stuff for myself than for others is a problem and it needs to stop. So the question now becomes in my, my prayer, how can I, how can I outweigh my self giving? To how I can give to others, or instead of getting stuff for myself, how do I outweigh all of that by giving to others? By dedicating my time, my effort, really what what shape does that take?
0: Okay. So something you said that I really want to highlight is just setting aside, um, setting things aside for a greater good. You can really tell that the Exodus ninety mindset's really set in you, which is amazing because I guess so. I mean, that's that was the goal of X90 in the first place, to really build habits. But I mean, the whole reason we fast in the first place is so that we can pursue a greater good. It's always in pursuit of God, who is the greatest good by putting aside um, things that only gratify you in the moment. I think in this time, it's really like during quarantine is a really good time to lean into those corporal acts of mercy. Um, Partially because it's so needed right now, just that physical interaction with people is so needed now. Um, but also as a way for us to understand, like, yeah, the only gift we ever really give to people is ourselves. So the corporal acts of mercy are feeding the hungry, visiting the imprisoned, burying the dead, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, giving shelter to travelers and offering drink to the thirsty. And especially now when COVID shut down, basically everything. And coming into the Christmas season, I think it's important that we really lean into the corporal acts of mercy, where it's meeting people where they're at and providing for them in a tangible way. Um, I don't know how often we're gonna have a chance to really like bury the dead, um, visit the imprisoned, but especially in our own social bubbles, doing something like providing for our parents or for our siblings. is at the very least something I want to lean into when when we enter into the Advent season tomorrow.
1: So what is what's a practical way that you yourself will be able to kind of live this out in your bubble?
0: Um, for me, I mean, something I've already been doing, but cooking for the family. <laughs> As you know, I've been playing Genshin Impact a lot over the past, what, two months now? yeah. Um, oh it's so good jump in uh 1.1 release anyway um one of the things i really enjoy about genshin any jrpgs when they include like a cooking system um, because the cuisine just looks good and i was going through a lot of the recipes um that are in game and i'm thinking i could i could make this so at the very least um cutting down on the gaming addiction uh, is one thing I can do, but also um, provide for my family in in that kind of concrete way. So cooking for them, uh, making them food that's inspired by video games, um, and really just trying, trying to trying to spice things up in the house because we're in for another 28 days, I think of quarantine and it's, it's going to get unbearably dull, um, just going through the same kind of habits day in and day out. And one of the things I really love about food is it doesn't take a lot of money to do something completely new. It's really just putting yourself out of your comfort zone, taking on a new style of cuisine that you might not be used to. But for the cook, it's also understanding what the people you're trying to feed, like what they enjoy, what their likes are. Um. I personally, me and my brothers love spicy food. My mom's not a big fan. So trying to understand them and find a way of providing for them in a very tangible way um, is at least how I'm going to respond to the physical needs of my community in this time. Chef Mike is providing meals for the hungry souls of the faithful. <laughs> hungry souls of my brothers. Yeah. Yep. And so, and even like really
1: among that, like between just people, I you know at a distance, things are lot so great, but we have all the connection to the internet. It still kind of feels a little hollow in a way I I have had some friends even kind of express to me, like being online just is not it. They want to be in person and they refuse sometimes to even come on to like a discord call or something like that, because it's not, it's just not fulfilling enough. And I can completely agree and relate to that sentiment. It's very difficult. It's not the same to be in, online in a voice call versus being in person with that individual, friend, person in your family. So at the time that you know we'd all be having family reunions or coming together with people who we don't usually see uh, over the Christmas season, now we're forced not to, not to do that, and that's that's a real shame. Honestly, I think it's, it's a real
0: shame that we're not able to do it. It's going to be one of the major hardships of the next couple of months for sure. Especially since it's a Christmas season, when all of us want to be together in community. Right. Absolutely. And there's one little aspect I actually kind of want to kind of tack
1: on to this. And that was how, you know, I mentioned this a little bit before about like, Oh yeah, everyone like writes cards to their family. It's, you know, it's great. But I think one thing that's been lost too is how intimate, and how personal we can make simple gifts that we offer onto each other. Um, the example being giving cards, writing letters, that sort of thing. That kind of art is is something that definitely is is lacking today, where we don't have that physical nature of thing. It's so much easier to just send a text or uh, head on like Google Duo or FaceTime and try and get like some time with your family, which is it's beautiful. It's amazing. But there's nothing quite like having a personal letter premeditated written for somebody you love. And Mike and I have been keeping up with our correspondences back and forth, even though snail mail can sometimes have some major delays. Uh, we always maintain the secrecy of what we actually kind of maintain in those, those letters so that we can kind of experience them more fully when we receive it, like we're receiving a gift. And more recently, I got um, a package in the mail in that letter, that one of the more recent letters, of course from mike and it hits different oh uh, i definitely like punch that term out quite a bit the it, yeah, idea it, it's but it's it, it honestly no it is it's something that's very edifying and you really get to know the heart of a person when you see them writing a letter personally to you in the words that they choose because that makes it's very them like it's very um very much almost like a, a microcosm of that person's heart being kind of displayed in words it's that's a beautiful thing to kind of get it's a beautiful thing to get
0: in yeah. the mail yeah and so, before that just going through your mailbox and finding something that isn't a bill like yeah yeah phone bill phone bill osap oh is this a wax stamp i see what is this It's it's just, it's nice, right? It's a nice break from the day-to-day life. It's a nice break from (laughs) the endless amount of bills you have to pay. Like I said, it's such an intimate thing to receive something handcrafted by another person. I mean, yeah, we can buy a card from, I don't know, card shop. Avondale. Avondale, yeah, uh, the drugstore. Or you can even spend a couple extra dollars on like a nice letterpress christmas card but having something handwritten handcrafted just like you said it hits different especially when you make it all fancy artsy wrap it up in ribbon and get like
1: you know some nice fountain pens maybe to decorate the front
0: oh yeah i'm busting out my quill and my dip pens for the christmas season i'm so excited it's gonna be great and i'll read for that dip pen a different question altogether but you know we'll work on that yeah.
1: And that's really one of the things that like me and you both, when we first met just happened to like, just click on it. It's like, Oh, you like old school stationary. And I've mentioned this time and time again already, but like that connection we've kind of made on that. And so when you take those two things that we both love stationary and the written word and our way to kind of communicate our feelings and, uh, and how we're really, you know, working through things so intimately, it kind of makes the experience come more alive than it would be kind of just Generally, chatting. It's like life talks packaged together for you. Yeah. And it's great just sitting and digesting everything that needs to be said between two people. Yeah. Or family, like between multiple people. So I would encourage anybody get on your letter writing, get yourself some nice envelopes, you know, scrap that printer paper and get yourself some real good cardstock, package up a nice letter for your family. If you're living alone, perfect time to reach out to them. If you're living with your family, perfect time to craft some cards for them and even some extended family, buy those postage stamps, get yourself in that mailbox ready to go. Maybe you buy some wax seals or something. I don't know. You don't need to go too crazy with it, but simply the effort that goes into just sending something through snail mail speaks volumes. And I think that's something that definitely will be a gift unto those whom you love and those whom you care for. And that's something we want to also share with you guys as well. We are by no means virtuosos in letter writing. However, I think the sentiment of actually wanting to grow into being those, uh, being one of them, I think is on our hearts in some ways. And I don't know how we we haven't actually thought of this before, but Mike and I had the idea of maybe reaching out to you guys.
0: Oh, I'm so excited.
1: Yeah. So... Here's something we're going to try and doing for the Advent season. And of course, any podcast we get out in that time, um, we're definitely going to try and, and keep pushing this. And even after Advent, um, I think it's just one of those things. I think we can, we should definitely make as more of a a personal touch to the podcast, the ministry, and precisely what we like uh, to share by sharing parts of us with you. So what I mean by this, what I'm saying is, if you would like us to send you a friendly letter in the mail, add us on Twitter, or send us a message on Instagram. And we will both craft you a wonderful welcome letter for the Advent season or whatever season uh, maybe you're in at the time when you're listening to this. And we're, we're gonna continue to make this a part of the ministry. We thought it'd be a great idea. So um please reach out to us. And if you're interested in whatnot, um, we would love to send a correspondence out to you guys, something about the advent season, something personal, of course, not something that's gonna be like you know, written up and being like, okay, we're going to copy and paste this all the way through. Then now uh, you're going to get fresh ink. Each, each one that goes out and we'll both send you one. Uh, of course, we'll do it through private, uh, private messaging. So there's nothing that's going out. No personal information will be uh, stolen or recaptured or anything like that. We're not about that. So if anyone be interested in doing that or uh, opening up and seeing that we, uh, we send the letters for the season, feel free to message us and reach out about that because I think it would go a long way that we finally hear um, some comforting words in very, very uncertain times. And even just in general, something that we don't usually get. So, and we go fancy. So get the wax seal. You'll get all the fancy. Yeah. Fancy ink colors, whole shebang. Let us know and it shall be done. Any intentions you have for us to pray for? Of course, we'll definitely be adding that to our list of intentions. So, feel free to let us know what uh, you're praying for this Advent season. we will be sure to add that in our prayers to, to, to God. And of course um, in our daily, uh, daily reflections. But with that, I think we've just about covered everything that we wanted to talk about today, not to drag on the, the recording too long, but I think we're, I think we're just about finished here. Um, any final remarks there, Mike?
0: I'm just so excited to be getting in touch with all of our listeners. Like most podcasts, they'll put up a PO box. Um, You can send them like gifts, but we're ahead of the curb because we're hipster like that. We will send you handwritten letters. Basically, anytime you ask for it. So, yep. Put us to work. We do not mind. Revive the epistolary tradition in the church. Very excited. My doctor's not going to be happy because the carpal tunnel is slowly setting in, but it's fine. That's, that's fine. Get yourself some wrist bands and just kind of power
1: through, right? Basically, yeah. Get our pens working. We need
0: to use a prank somehow, right? Oh, I have way too much. so Why not share with others? Exactly. Share them just (laughs) cheesy as hell Advent sentiment. Christmas sentiment. Cool. but uh thanks everybody i have been joel my name is mike
1: and this uh, has been cultural confessions we'll hopefully be getting out another uh, well another recording hopefully by the end of advent for the christmas season just in time before the new year comes around so look forward to that please reach out to us on twitter instagram and of course um help support us if you are uh, if you are so inclined. Uh, and have the ability to do so on Patreon. All the information will be in the show notes. And we hope and wish you a very joyful, peaceful, hopeful, and loving Advent season. Do take care, and we will see you next time.
0: Bye.